Welcome to the DCAST. Today we're going to talk money, fees and liabilities. Bank managers, the IAD and your landlord. Um, learning to talk about money is one of the most important skills you need in running a design business. Whether it's understanding a balance sheet or negotiating your fees, if you get it wrong, it will cost you, literally. Uh, to share experiences and knowledge, uh, and knowledge today, we have two very experienced designers, one spatial, one graphic, um, and the Designers Institute own treasurer. Uh, Ryan, would you like to introduce our guest? Thanks, Gideon. Uh, welcome to Katrina Knapp. Katrina is a director of McQueen and Associates, a chartered accountancy practice based in Parnell and has been practicing for 25 years. Initially working for larger CA firms prior to forming her own practice in 2011. She's been the treasurer of the Designers Institute for the last 12 plus years and has several clients from the design industry. Katrina is passionate about helping business become more profitable and grow their grow to their full potential. Welcome to the DCAST, Katrina. Thank you. And next we have Jen Chain. So Jen is a director of Mind and Matter, um, a boutique design studio based in Auckland with more than 22 years of experience at the cutting edge of branding and design and a strong business sense. Jen creates long lasting brands from the top down. She has diverse expertise across 200 plus brands spanning various design disciplines across many different business types and scale. Through the DINs, Jen now mentors other designers and also sits as a co-op to the Designers Institute board. Welcome to the DCAST, Jen. Hi, thank you. And last but not least, we have Paul Izard. Izard Design brings together a versatile crew of New Zealand's most talented designers and creatives in a collaborative studio environment. The renowned, renowned designer and studio founder Paul Izard brings more than 20 years of international experience to his role as design director and architect. Having designed hotels and restaurant spaces throughout the UK with this prestigious ABA design company, Paul's mastery of space and texture make for visually stunning and ref refreshingly tactile environments. Welcome to the DCAST, Paul. Yeah, thanks very much. I like the 20 years, but we keep saying that for the last 10 years now, it makes me feel younger. Is that the, uh, the 10 year anniversary of your 20 years experience? That's it, you got it. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, well, welcome everybody. Um, we'll, we'll start off with a, with a challenging one. The quickest way to kill any uh, business is to stifle cash flow. So, Paul, I'm going to ask you, uh, would you say your, your uh, uh, most important financial relationship is is with your accountant or your bank manager? Um, I think, well, both really. I think yeah. you, need, you need good solid funding behind you, especially at the start, as you say, to, to catch up with your cash flow and a good accountant. I remember when I first started, we were actually doing an, a fit out for an accounting company and I was, we were growing, we were doing quite well. I said, I'm going to Baptist um, employ a couple more designers. And he stopped me in my tracks and go, now the next person you need to employ someone to do the numbers right and i ignored him and, <laughs> and he was right we regrew too fast and we struggled at the start for cash flow for obviously wages and rent and stuff but i think you know we're we're, we're designers of all different sorts of sectors and fields but at the end of the day we're still running a business and um, businesses take time to mature and to grow and to build you know build a good solid basis to run your business on. So I think you know, a lot of people struggle at the start and it's really just time, you know, and good management that gets you through it really. 
I would say yeah. from a small business point of view, probably not so much a bank manager. I, I I don't even talk to any bank managers these days. I think it's so online and you can apply quite quickly for extra overdraft, but certainly an accountant and a really good accountant who understands business. That's been invaluable for me. Um, so yeah, that would be my perspective on that. Yeah, I think if you make that if you make that decision wrong, I, I had a bookkeeper for the first five years of my business, and then when I got a proper accountant, uh, he had what uh, what he described as we had what he described as sludge in our accounts that had to be kind of journaled out. So, Katrina, what are some of the mistakes that um, uh, design businesses or professional services businesses make in that area? Well, I think one of the key things that was touched on before is just understanding the timing of your different costs versus when your money's coming in. So that old cash is king, like we often hear bantered around, is very much key for any business. Uh, and like I say, certainly when you've got a business where you might have people that are working for you on either weekly or fortnightly wage payments, and yet you may not be billing for your services until the end of the month and not getting paid till the 20th of the following month. So, you know, in a lot of businesses, often you get a six to eight week lag of cash flow and just actually understanding how much that means and how much money you've got to have set aside in the bank to cover that and cover any growth plans that you may have is really important. Often one of the things I do with clients that are new is I sit down and we work out a break-even point. And a lot of people think that's really depressing because they say, oh, well, I'm in business to make money, not just break-even. But at least if you understand that break-even, that minimum performance level, you can then set and place some goals and some KPIs to manage. So that are some key things to manage on a weekly basis. And that might be things like how many billable hours I'm doing. You know, I need to bill x amount of dollars a month all of those sorts of things but i think underpinning all of that is that if you have an accountant or any sort of business help it needs to be somebody that you as a business owner can relate to we've all got different personalities and you need to surround yourself with people that you actually get on with and you like talking to and you enjoy having them as part of your business not somebody that is completely the opposite to you who is a real, you know, stickler or painful if you want to pick up the phone and talk to them. So, I think that's um, brilliant advice, actually, because uh, uh, having an accountant that you can re relate to has been invaluable for me. Where you can, you have that open conversation, and also, I mean, designers are. I'm probably being quite bored here, but we're not great at dealing with those hard issues sometimes, and. Um, when you have an annual, I have an annual catch up with my accountant and I've also done um, some quite, you know, two or three hour workshops with them when I was looking at setting up my new business, Mind and Matter, and so much comes out of it if you feel tr you're in a trusted space and you can talk about things openly, especially financial issues um, or even what your ambitions are. There's not not often when you work on your own you don't have anyone to talk to about that kind of de detail so I think that's really important yeah I think one of the things that most people are getting better at understanding and expecting from their accountant is more than just breaking down the numbers because uh, you know what I often say to people is the numbers are a lag indicator 
you know, if, if you haven't got enough money in the bank or your profit's looking poor or things are going badly, it means that there's a whole lot of other things that you should have done often months ago to fix that problem. And so you need to have confidence in talking to your accountant about everything, whether it be your marketing, your business plans, like you say, your your goals, your life goals. Um, I remember sitting down with one client one time and saying, okay, well, what's a perfect um, kind of working year look like for you? You know, ideally, how many hours would you work a month? Or, and she said, oh, I only actually want to work four months a year. And um, then it was a matter of saying, well, okay, then this is what you've got to earn in these four months. And we constructed a plan that she could actually work with. So it, it is about making people feel and, and people expecting to feel like, you can say anything and it's about working together to come up with something that's going to work for your business. I think that kind of leads to a good thing. I'm, I, I want to go to you, Paul, and, and, and just say, you know, like, if you want to judge how your studio is performing financially, you've got some metrics. So what are the metrics that you, um, that you track? Well, I mean, everything that's been talked about is correct. And it, for us, it's so prevalent that for the last 10 years, we've had in-house accountants and administration. I mean, it's just so important. Right? and constantly tracking the workflow. We're lucky, I suppose, because we've been doing it a long time. So we have a, a track of performance, and so we can look back at that and we can go through it you know, with a fine tooth comb you know, yearly or even more often and see how we're tracking compared to the before. Obviously, the last few years have been a bit tricky with COVID, but you can still see through that. And so, you know, and, and so we have, we have, as you say, a break even, we have a target and we need to meet that target. And our, our projected workflow is on, is, is on a chart that we can track to, make, to ensure we're going to meet that target. So, yeah, I mean, that, those, are, those are the simple matrices we use to, to ensure that we're going to have enough income to keep the business going and, and pay our staff, basically. Having, having, having some sidelines as well, we've got some, you know, we, we, um, you know, we own the building we're in and so on. So there's some other avenues there that we can look at and call on to help us with our cash flow and, and be a bit more diverse, which I think is, 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 is a key as well. And sort of not relying on one source, which, is, which has help, helped us a lot, especially, especially in this climate. Yeah, that's right. I think you know, in an ideal business, which often none of us seem to get to, but it's always nice to have the idea there, is that um, you have some recurring revenue, so some revenue that is coming through every month, whether that's clients you regularly work on, whether that's um, service level agreements, all of those sorts of things. So a certain level of recurring revenue can just take a little bit of pressure off. And then obviously you tend to do better on those jobs and projects that you might win and bill, say, on a monthly basis. But the other thing that I often encourage people to think is, okay, this is what we need to earn annually. But don't divide that number by 12. For starters, every business has highs and low seasons. And in addition to that, you always have good and bad months. So I'm always saying to people at the very kind of, if nothing else, divide it by 11 or ideally divide that target by 10. Because then yeah. you're allowing yourself some time where months may not be so good. And, um, you know, that's okay. You can recover from that without it being catastrophic, I guess, in terms of your overall business success. Um, that's actually a really good point. I think also for me being a, a mother as well and juggling around, and I think these days uh, everyone agrees, school holidays have a massive impact on business. And uh, so I work it out based on 43 weeks a year. That's my 
actual time that I can actually be working, although it often is more than that. Um, one of the one of the things I did as a small business was I actually got some training um, through there was a company called Cloudify Solutions and they set up some reporting really good reports for me because I don't have obviously an in house accountant um, and that was done through Workflow Max and the other thing is my accountant gives me um, also reports every month as well oh every every two months when I do my GST I find that really helpful in terms of keeping tax and knowing what your projections are? Hmm. I, I, that was kind of an interesting question. I, I think with the, with the, with the rise or uh, you know, the prevalence now of, of online accounting packages like Xero, um, this has meant an increased financial literacy or accessibility. Um, and that, you know, that's, a, that's good and bad. Like you can look at your P&L and your balance sheet on a daily basis as long as you keep the information in because it's the quality of the information that you, you put into your system. That means the quality that you get out. Uh, and doing monthly financials uh, has been a godsend. I think that's something I started about mm, 10 years ago. And, and, and it just really gives you a, a good health check to be able to benchmark against previous years and previous months and to know where you're going and where the challenges are going to be. So, um, Katrina, have you noticed an increase in financial literacy or is that, are, are we just fooling ourselves? Generically, I guess yes, uh, in, in some cases. Uh, I like to think that we as accountants are encouraging our clients to have more financial literacy. And by that, I mean to say, you know, a lot of us are saying, hey, look, in zero every month, run your profit and loss. This is how you do it. Click here, click there. Just so people know what report to run and then saying, well, okay, for your business in that report, obviously your revenue number is key but also what are your two or three key expenses that you need to monitor as well? Where, where can problems happen? Or conversely, where can savings be made as well? So it's about having that coaching and that conversation with their accountant to say, okay, I've got access to this information. Firstly, making sure that it's not rubbish in, rubbish out. So the right people are doing the right things. Uh, you know, it's all very well designers thinking or any business thinking I want to save money so I'm going to do it all myself but you know is that actually the best use of your time can you actually earn more money by doing what you do well and paying somebody else to to do it so I think there's there's that aspect of it too but also even monitoring things like cash flow I say to people in zero this is where you look at your GST return have a look at that every month so you know how much you should be saving for your GST even though it might not be due till the following month or the month after or six months time at least just breaking down the barriers so they don't feel like everything is just a mystery until their accountant all of a sudden comes to light with some bad news as it usually yeah. is <laughs> yeah. well that's right that, that kind of leads into another question right which is death and taxes um so the landscape has changed a little bit with players like uh, um, tax management nz which has been a bit of a godsend um what tax advice apart from you know uh, um Stay <laughs> for it. What would you give somebody starting up? For usually, some of the key things I talk to people about is having a monthly savings amount for tax and GST and giving them that percentage. Uh, often, you find with businesses, and I mean more often than not, they don't do it. And that's where and, and it's not for not wanting to, it's just that whole cash flow argument that we've been talking about. It's, it really can be quite pressurised. So 
we find um, places like TMNZ or any tax pooling agency a really good way of getting clients in a habit of setting up an AP every week or every month for a certain amount of money and then helping that tax problem be alleviated. So, you know, the, the key thing is, I guess, firstly, getting people to read the reports, understand what they mean from a, a an income amount, which leads to a tax amount, and then also that GST report. And if they happen to get behind, then it is, hey, look, we can use tax pooling agencies, and you just have to save a certain amount each month. And it might be, it's only going to be over 10 months, because we do budget for two months that aren't going to be so good. But it's just, I think the key thing with staying on top of tax or anything to do with the IRD is front foot it, break it down into palatable bite-sized chunks, because where it seems to really have uh, haunting memories for people is where they get these big numbers from their accountants, often at times when cash flow is not there and it becomes really stressful. So the key thing is take that stress away. Yeah, yeah the appropriately say... named terminal tax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I've always been pretty vigilant in that area and I would advise people to not go in blind and really keep your own kind of tracking, if you can, of just quite simply from a small business point of view, what you've earned, what goes out and what's left. And that's the tax off that. And I always take a lot more than I need out and put it in the savings account. And if you can do that, it isn't painful then when you're paying it as well, because you don't think about it as money. You just think about it as a transaction. Because um, I think that's something when you when you first start a business is it feels quite painful <laughs> to to be paying you know twenty thousand dollars worth of tax or whatever it is when you start out. Um, you need to get rid of that, and it's not yours, and you need to accept that it is just part of being in a business. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. What what you were saying before as well. We started zero a few years back, and it's excellent in the transparency and the chartered accountants love it for speed. So, you know, if you do have questions, they can answer them really quickly. And it is so transparent to see where you're at with your GST, et cetera. So, I mean, that would be a huge recommend. For, you know, mm, get out of the pages. It's easy and, you know, you can just see where you're at. It, it doesn't matter what size your business is, right? That's right. I, I do recommend, though, getting some training in it because I, when I first did it, I was like, oh, my God, what if I enter in the wrong place? And, oh, I have to do a purchase order or whatever those things are. Our, our chartered accountant ran training programs so you know to take it on to help them they they had someone from their office come into our office oh, and brilliant. software with with you know the relevant team get them up to speed and then we could feed them so much more information so it worked both ways and that was actually i don't think they charged particularly very much or if at all to do that because it was helping both sides right yeah i yeah, agree you just, you just don't want to put it in the wrong place you know anything yeah. <laughs> so yeah great advice for that yeah I had, a, I had a freelancer who worked for me once who used to put the tax on the credit card. Uh, not good advice, let me tell everybody. Oh, my uh, God. That, that person ended up in deep, deep shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's yeah, I think the um, biggest misnomer out there is that, oh, the first year you don't need to pay tax. Mm. But, well, yeah. <laughs> you may not need to pass it over to the IRD, but it's going to come back to haunt you the following year when you've got two years' worth to come up with in one go. And um, you see that happen a lot. And... Uh, it really is a shame. And some of that is because people actually delay taking on it or, you know, finding an accountant so they actually understand from the get-go what they should do. Um, 
And it's about, I think the key thing with tax is actually just coming up with a system that works well for you. And we're all different. So different things work well. I have some clients that are great savers. They save, you know, a lot, like we've just been talking about. I've got others that are absolutely terrible and you've almost got to extract it away from them and put it under lock and key. But either which way, it's got to be something that works for the individual. Well, the hardest one is when you have a good year followed by a bad year because you have to pay the tax for the good year with the, with the, with, if you haven't saved for the income from a bad year. So that's where the challenge. That's why um, you need to save it. Yeah. What was that for? That's why you need to save it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Hey, so what's a good rule of thumb for a profit net, uh, margin for a um, uh, professional services business? Anyone? Um, often you see 10 to 20%. Anything yep. over 10 these days is good. Um, typically, businesses strive for 20 but you've got to balance that up with, you know, we can have a magnificent profit margin and be taking hardly any salary. So, you know, I think the first thing I always say to people is, look, if you are getting the level of salary that you need to pay your bills and you enjoy what you're doing and things are going well, then that's one box ticked. The next is obviously if you're making some level of return from that in the form of a profit margin, then that's great. And that's the second base that you try and build on from there. Uh, and like I say, anything from 10 upwards in this day and age um, is a really good result. It used to be it used to be 20 or bust, you know, but I think as we've highlighted, we've come through some tough times in the last few years. And we're kidding ourselves if we think we're going to get out of this anytime soon. So you know, it's, um, it's, it's about setting achievable targets and actually what we need to monitor on a, on a weekly basis and a monthly basis to improve the business steady as she goes. I think that's the key learning, isn't it, is, is to actually have a target. Because if you don't, you know, if you don't aim for anything, you're, you're bound not to have it. Um, so, Paul, what, what, you know, do, you, do you subscribe to the 10% or, you know, spatially, you have, you have big overheads, don't you, or big cost of sales, I should say. Well, when we're not huge, you've got 10 staff and you've got, you know, automobiles and, and, and mortgages or rent or whatever way you want to look at it. Um, but I, I agree with the statement before about, you know, you really, what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to put lots of money in the bank or, or are you paying your salaries and, and, and et cetera, paying the bills and, and running a business that you enjoy? I think that's how we look at it. You know, we've got a target to achieve that and that's the target we try and achieve. And, and anything over above that, then you've got to think about, well, what am I going to do with that? I'm going to leave it in the bank. I'm going to reinvest and get some staff. So then, then that, then there's other parts of the business you start looking at. The, the business starts to morph and change or adapt into something else as well. It's not just about let's just put loads of money in the bank. That's not kind of the attitude or how we run the businesses. You did right. We, the, the business cost is less with salaries, etc. And then you project some, you know, increase in that over the coming year and try and meet that new target and so on and. And yeah, just over these times, we've been lucky enough to achieving that. There isn't much left once that's done at the moment. So um, yeah, but hey, there was there was um, prior, and then so it was used to reinvest and and um, you know and grow the business in different directions. Which is, um, which is so, to achieve, so to achieve that, the kind of uh, like it's a really big question, and we probably don't have time to cover it fully today. But but uh, how do you go about costing? You know. How do you set your rates? How do you how do you identify what the value is of a job, and then when that is it? I think for us, for us, well, it's experience. We've done it before, so we know how long it takes. So that's how much it costs. 
and and you break that down into um, you know understandable you know chunks for the client so you can see where it's going and you can relate that into previous jobs timesheets if they want to see it. We just know how much it costs. There are some industry standards around sort of what you expect. It doesn't necessarily mean that's right because each job is bespoke and you have to look at each one in turn and who the client is, et cetera, and you know, what, what they expect as part of the service because so the services can change. So each job is different. But, yeah, for us, it really comes down to um, just experience and we can go back on our knowledge and, and know how long it took and, therefore, that's how long it, you know, that's how much, the, how, how, how we, you know, get to the fee, if you like. And sometimes it can be a bit of a shock and can be expensive and, and so on. So again, that relates to who your client is and, and, but you can demonstrate, you know, why it takes that long by showing them previous projects. I think often I talk to my design clients too about different types of projects, you know, because you can have what I refer to as passion projects and, you know, some projects that you want to do or might be great for your brand. Charity, you mean? all those sorts of things where you might have a slightly different approach to costing that job out than you would a normal job. And I think the key thing when I talk to people about that is to make sure that you don't have a whole heap of passion projects going on at the one time and not enough other work to be able to pay your bills, but at the same time, identify and allow yourself the ability to have those projects because that can actually make you feel really good. It can bring a whole lot of, can bring awards, recognition, all of these other things, which is indirectly kind of a marketing investment in your business, but at the same time, it's something that you really want to do. Uh, but, you know, often in professional services, when we're talking about costing, we say, well, look, a three-time salary for a charge-out rate is, is often a really good starting point. But if you can't get that, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater either. You know, that's these rules of thumb are always starting points. And then you have a look at the individual situation or the person itself. Um, and yeah, you know, alley rates that cover your break-even, don't you? And each job is bespoke. When someone asks how much it's going to cost, you, you just don't, you just can't answer that question. You have to, you know, you have to investigate what the project is and, and, and what entails to get it complete. And then you build a fee from there. Um, I would say on the, on the passion projects, though, the only thing I would strongly emphasize is don't give things away without telling people what that value is because if you discount a job just because you know it's too expensive and you never tell them you are not doing anyone a favor in fact your business will suffer quite badly so I'm always like if I if I'm taking time off those people know about it that that's what the true cost is um, and I would say for my business it's actually a, um, it's a times two factor so if you want to take home 200 grand, you have to turn over 400 grand to, to get that. It's different when you've got contractors working for you. That that ratio changes a little bit. So that's my input there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think that's right. I mean, look, I, I look between um, three to three and a half times somebody's salary as 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 what I would charge their hourly rate as being. Uh, and then you know, I can, back back in the old days, we used to be able to charge twenty five percent markup on things. But those that's kind of gone now. I think you have to be a bit more transparent about it. Um, but it's it, it it really is just having making sure that you have an equation. And to your point, Katrina, I think modern packages like the, the project management packages, like we use Streamtime here, you can have different tiers, pricing tiers. So um, you know, we do work for uh, on box, and and we do that at almost 
almost break even, you know, almost, you know, almost cost because they're enjoyable projects, but we do let people know that, that we are doing them uh, at a reduced rate because um, the, 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 your clients uh, value the work as much as you do. So if you give your work away, people don't value it. It's, it's the price no, I agree. You know, I think it's really frustrating. It's even worthwhile, and depends on the situation, but, you know, I if you're offering a discount, yes, you need to highlight that, but even highlight it on the, the bill at the end, you know. Yeah, totally. This Always. is a cost per time spent, less our discount. And even in some cases, you can go one step further and say, less discount if paid by whatever date, if you yeah. really want to. That's good advice. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of some of the common things that I encourage people to think about. And in addition to that, particularly with design or any professional services business I work with, it's that scope creep, it's that giving away more than you can charge, it's that managing the time on the job. All of those are really um, problem areas and that's where people tend to lose money. So it's not that you're sitting there doing no work, it's it's actually the recovery of that time. And that's where packages like was mentioned, Workflow Max is good. Um, there's another more simple one called Harvest. That's great. We, um, we, run, we run Harvest. Excellent. Yeah, so it's about early on getting these packages in place so you can monitor uh, job performance, job profitability, and just have that conversation or have the learnings as key. You know, a lot of people don't want to look at it in fear, mm. but it's actually take the fear away and turn that into learnings. Yeah. And I think, I think one important thing is well, you slow it down, get more information on Harvest, understand where the time's going, more communication with the client so you can see rather than just disappearing for ages and then turning up with a lot of work that's really expensive and bring them along for the journey and then they understand the value, right? And I think so, you know, that's a really important way for us to you know, communicate the cost with the client. Yeah. Oh, there, is another, there is another costing method that, that, we, that we've employed at, at quite a bit actually, which is value pricing. What is the, what is the value of this job to the client? Sometimes it's, it, it's, it's more than, than the hours would be and, and that gives you an, an opportunity for innovation. And sometimes it's less than what the hours would be, like books. Uh, and you, you're taking this on because it, it's work that you enjoy doing. So, you know, I think there are different pricing strategies that you can do. Now, pricing is one thing, but, but actually getting paid is another. Um, how does everybody manage their debt? You know, it's, you know, Katrina, you talked about giving a discount if you pay by a certain time. That works for some people, but uh, you know, uh, corporates are the, sometimes the worst. You know, they might hold you up to ninety days. Has anybody got any good advice on getting paid? We, we, one thing we find helps really well is when you when you um, you know, supply a contract, you also supply them with a, a a cash flow forecast for for billings, and so they can see how that how your program relates to your fee. And what they can expect to come on a monthly basis, and then they can sign that off at the start. And so, you know, you're sort of preempting them with what's coming. We find that helps a lot. But yeah, hey, some people can struggle when you have to give them more time, 60 days or so. But, you know, it's, and again, we just and it take a lot of time. That's why we have in house admin to keep up with that and to keep on top of people and, and help them if they need help and to discuss with them what, you know. You know what we can do to you know to resolve any issue. Yeah, the best way to get, get paid most most of the time is to be a squeaky wheel, to be a regular annoying. Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, and there's obviously you obviously deliver work in stages. You know, so you know you get 
you can keep up with that again, because it's all about keeping up with with with, with, with your, your admin. And if you can, you know, once you build, if you haven't received payment, you don't move on to the next stage, right? It's quite straightforward. Yeah, agreed. I think um, from a small perspective, um, they don't last too long. People who don't pay their bills, yeah, yeah. Uh, they get axed, and because uh, it, it's really important that that people respect that. Um, so I would, I'm a, if there's a day late, that's they're getting an, an email or a phone call. And now I'm fortunate to be in a position where I get paid earlier than what um, <laughs> what you're meant to, and it's it's really really good for cash flow. And I tell you what, I do do their work first. So what comes around goes around as well. I'm equally as good at paying people as they are paying me. I think that's really important. If you can keep on top of your finances, I I do think it comes back twofold. I think that's a key point. It's part of your professionalism, isn't it? If you want to be perceived as being professional, then you are professional in what you deliver, but you're also professional in what you expect. And if there are no surprises, in other words, you know, like, Paul mentioned earlier it's it's set out in black and white before they take on the the job you know this is what we're engaged um you know you're engaged to do and this is what we're going to provide to you this is what we expect and uh, you know your terms are very clear and the other piece of advice I have for people is that that escalation is key so a lot of people shy away from the debt collector they don't like chasing for money but it's actually you've got to get your mind away from that mindset and say, well, okay, this is this is the terms, this is what we agreed, I'm just following up on what we agreed and have an escalation process in place that you're comfortable with and then at some point in time, if it gets to that, then you do have to pass it over the fence to a debt collector but make sure that that is, you've got a process and at such and such a time, this is what happens and do it. That actually reminds me of a story when um, I was starting out back in the day um, and I had I was owed a small amount, it was $900, whatever, but it had gone on and on for two months and in the end I actually, it was just the point, it wasn't actually the amount and I actually ended up engaging a lawyer who added their fee to it and then um, sent them a thing saying if you don't pay tomorrow, uh, this will be taken to, you'll be sued, and it was paid. <laughs> so sometimes getting a bit of help isn't a bad thing either. If uh, if it, and then that's it. No, I never did any work for them again. But I think when you're small, smaller as well, people can take advantage of you. There are yeah. Yeah, and it's really important to stand up for yourself or talk to other people who are in the industry with you and share stories with each other because. It, you, you can pick up quite a lot um, just talking about it and how people have managed things, yeah. Yeah, last year we had to, for the first time in 25 years, take somebody to the, literally to the High Court, and it was, we were, there was 24 hours before, before the first hearing and they paid, but we had, you know, we spent, you know, um, $15,000 on lawyers. Um, it was a substantial amount, and they decided they they owed us over a hundred thousand dollars. They decided they were going to pay us twenty seven cents on the dollar. I don't know where that figure came from, but but they just decided arbitrarily that's what they were going to do. And uh, anyway, that person is now uh, in the whole world of other pay, not from us, but from other suppliers who are who are liquidating them. So yeah, fun again. Hey, um, one question which I wanted to to cover um, uh, is about insurance, right? So 
I mean, here's a question. Can you be overinsured? There's all sorts of different ones. There's, you know, professional indemnity, business continuity, public liability, you name it. So, Paul, I'm guessing that you probably would be, have, have to be quite careful about your insurance. Yeah, of course. I mean, PD and PI for us are really important. Uh, we do a lot of sort of um, uh, development run projects, which take, which requires 5 million plus. So yeah, you just got to keep up with it. And it's part of, um, yeah, it's just part of the process to be able to get on site in some of the larger projects. Um, and yeah, you got, I guess also at the same time, you've got a responsibility to your clients to ensure that any, any issues from your side can be covered. Um, and so not only in design, safety and design and all those things. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cost of doing business. And it's something that, that we got to have. Yeah. I would agree. I, I think I've just recently been through a bit of a, a scare with that side of things where, um, you know, you're dealing with packaging jobs that are, are massive. Um, and if there's a, if there's a mistake, you know, yes, the client signed it off, but ultimately it does fall back on you. And I was fortunate that it wasn't completely my fault, but it gave me a uh, a bit of a wake up call. So I uh, reassessed all my insurances, and I've got every single one now because I, it's just not worth it. Um, for the for the amount that you pay, I agree it's it's a business thing that you need to incorporate. But when um, you get away with it for a while, you can get complacent. And um, yeah, so I would I would do I think I've done cyber statutory liability professional immunity and general as well as well as my own um assets so yeah and it, it ended up not being that much really for the for the coverage but then too, you've also got to consider things like trauma and yeah. life or those sorts of things as well because when you're in business um you know if you are reliant on a salary or you know if you can't work for a period of time you need to hire somebody else to work in your place then, uh, you know, a lot of people will think, well, that cover's really expensive. Some aspects of it are, but some aren't. And it's it's a really good thing to explore. I had uh, first um, COVID, one of my clients, um, a young person had a heart attack, you know, in their early 40s. You wouldn't expect that. Couldn't work for six months, but they did have a form of cover in place where they got a monthly amount paid out, and it was invaluable to them at a really stressful time. Yeah, key person and etc. Yeah, it should all be it should all be looked at. Yeah. Does anybody have business continuity insurance? What's that one? Business continuity. So when I was part of the strategy group, was uh, uh, and head office was in was in Christchurch. They had business continuity for the second quake, which meant that they were up and running um, the next day, uh, while while a lot of their while a lot of their competitors weren't. So I think, you know, it, you, you never know when you're going to need it. Um, and it is quite good to be overinsured. Yeah, I think if you've got it, if you've got it, you're more or less likely to need it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Hey, one last subject before we want, uh, wrap this up. But, but we talked about bank managers, tax men, accountants, uh, and insurance agents. Um, the third relationship is, is surely with your landlord, right? So it's your second biggest overhead after your, your salary bill. Um, you know, uh, negotiating a a, um, a lease on, or, or a place can be quite uh, um, uh, painful if you don't get it right because you can be locked in. You, there's personal guarantees. It's a big cost. How is everybody? I mean, obviously, Paul, you, you negotiate that with yourself. That must be a bit of a arm wrestle. Yep. We're lucky enough. I mean, it hasn't been. You know, we haven't owned our own business for the last thirty years. 
but and um, we're lucky enough to do that now. And so, like I said, some of the diversities of your business start paying down some real estate, right? And and it's a it's a great direction to go down. But before that, yes, we've we've um, done plenty of leases and lease negotiations. I think probably one of the one of the big ones there for a lot of, catches a lot of people out is your exit and and your reinstatement. And I think you've got to be very careful and clear exactly what, because you can be somewhere for 10 years and you've got to leave and you've got to refurbish it. And it's like, well, is that fair? Because you know, I've been there for 10 years and haven't seen landlord's paintbrush at all. But, you know, so yeah, that can be one that, that can require some negotiating at the start. But, yeah, we're, you know, as I say, we're in, a, we're in a better position for that now, which is great. I think that's your key point, though, Paul. A, a lot of, I encourage a lot of clients to look at that rent line and then mm. work out what level of... Uh, repayment that that would service that's right because for a lot of businesses you know you happily take on a lease and you don't actually think laterally and think well actually you know what would my business look like or where could i what could i get for that money that actually is mine after perhaps i sell my business or decide right. to do something else and uh, for a lot of people they've actually gone on and bought their own places uh, which gives them a retirement plan and that's where it segues back to your first question, where is do you want a relationship with your accountant or your bank manager or both? Because you're gonna, you, want, you don't want to pay rent, you want to borrow some money off the bank and buy a property, right? And so that's where that relationship with them comes in. And then, of course, it helps your cash flow because then you can do some revolving credit or something like that. So you've always got some, some backup, backup funding if you need it or there's an opportunity. So, yeah, it's a good position to be in for sure. I think it's always good to have a long-term view of things, right? So if, you, if you're going to take on a lease, don't take on a lease for a year or two years because the landlord's going to look at you as, as being painful. If you, if, you, if you kind of negotiate six years and you, and, and you get uh, like a, a fit-out and, and you, you get um, uh, knowledge of what your rent's going to be for the next six years, it helps you budget for it. Um, but I think that's probably you know, a, a nice place to wrap this up, which is... Um, you know, with all financial stuff, it's having a really long-term view of your business. Don't think of things in weeks and months. Um, think of it in, 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 in quarters and years and, and multiple years because that's the way businesses grow and that's the way businesses uh, become profitable and become what you want them to be. Hey, thanks everybody for um, for joining us today. Um, I think it's been really, there's been lots of really good uh, uh, insights and, and uh um, to, to share. So thank you. Yeah, massive thanks to our guests today, Jen Chan, uh, Kat, Katrina Knapp and Paul Izard. Some great insights into money, fees and liability. We certainly appreciate your time and input. You've been listening to a Designers Institute decast and we'll see you next time.